the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday's sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new season of the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. We have a new guest mortician here today, Josh Postlewaite, our newest and only pastoral resident at Liberty Church Collingswood. Josh, how are you? Um, I'm great, Jim. Like uh, we talked about earlier, it's it's weird to be sort of thrust in this role, but me and Zach Wilson together are uh, going to take on the week and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what we can do here. <laughs> so Josh, you, you have already set yourself in contrast to Emily, the regular host. And by the way, everybody, Emily had foot surgery. Her Her mouth and ears are fine, but she's pretty well bedridden for the for a few more weeks uh, after the foot surgery so especially for this first week it just made sense for her to take it easy a little bit more uh josh you have now officially made one more sports reference in the history of this podcast than emily there we go <laughs> there we go i'm uh setting records on day one that's it's <laughs> good stuff um, yeah but 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 the reality is the like there could be Helen Wolves out there that have no idea that I'm a sports fan. And so Josh, you're, you're, you're bringing out these aspects of my personality that my lovely wife, uh, we, we she could could might not that, know. Yeah. We could argue that any of those Helen Wolves that have listened to more than two sermons might know that about you, but, <laughs> um, always adding new dimensions. So, Oh yes. Well, Josh, we've talked about preaching over the summer and at a couple points, you preached a great sermon couple weeks ago and and we uh one of the things we talk about is don't assume too much of the audience or congregation there we go with with uh with that in mind and uh mention of that average-ish sermon out of the way let's let's get into breaking (laughs) this one down that uh really shows us all how it's done so that that first bit we want to jump into calling it a stormy monday Yes, let's do it, Josh. Cool. Let's go. So, Jim, why this sermon? Why this Sunday? Ah, well, Josh, that's a great question. And I think I'm talking to the right person because as we move forward from here in subsequent weeks, as we're kicking off this Colossians sermon series, you and I have been going back and forth over email as to the sequence of of texts and are we going to take this quickly are we going to take this slowly so josh you're uh for better or for worse in the kitchen with me with with this process and these and these sermons uh you feel free to comment on how it's been for you so far but the, the the idea with colossians and we'll talk in a couple minutes i'm sure in more detail was that i've been thinking praying cogitating, percolating over the summer, thinking about how we as human beings are formed and more specifically for the church of Jesus Christ, how we're formed in Christ and not, not other things. Uh, I forget, Josh, are you, and it's okay if not either familiar with her, have you read Charles Taylor, the philosopher, the Christian philosopher, older Catholic guy? I have not. Um... Okay. 
Yeah. Well, Char- Charles Taylor, his friends call him Chuck. We can call him Charles. The Charles Taylor <laughs> wrote a, a book, Secular Age, that I've I mentioned a couple different points. I read it on sabbatical a few years ago. It's an it's a historical philosophical study of the West from the period of the 1500s to the present, and it asks the question: How over time have we become more secular? Case in point, Taylor asks towards the beginning of the book: If you would have asked person walking down the street in Europe. 500 years ago do you believe in god the average joe sort of like jay leno uh the person on the street would have said 500 years ago of course i believe in god why shouldn't i just because in that manner woman's sort of worldview structure of society content of society charles taylor uses the phrase the social imaginary just how we think about the world it was eminently plausible and made a ton of sense to believe in god fast forward 500 years it's switched so ask the average western person today in increasing numbers not everybody do you believe in god that person would say of course i don't why should i so Mm. a secular age the book asks questions what has shifted under people's feet where over these years, what was once obvious, i.e. to believe in God, is now the opposite of obvious. And as culture continues to spin forward, Josh, I'm increasingly aware of how Christian discipleship can take and should take less and less for granted as far as what people believe about life, the universe, and everything vis-a-vis the scriptures. And for a lot of the people that have questions about their Christian faith, doubts about their Christian faith, blockers to them becoming Christians, and then those that that deconstruct and deconvert altogether, uh, the the points of wavering are often the cultural assumptions that don't mesh with Christianity, but seem so obvious that actually being a Christian and formed in Jesus is really hard and it doesn't make a lot of sense. So all of that is a long-winded way of saying how do we deepen as disciples of Jesus and Colossians seems like a great book to use. Yeah, that's, it's a lot there. Um, <laughs> some good stuff, especially given we, we, we only had two verses this week. So you, you got a lot about that, um, which, which is sort of part of that question that leads us out of this. And in the next, how, how, how was that working sort of, do you find it tougher or easier when you're working with a really short passage? I know, before the summer, a lot of genealogies and a lot of right. long, long narrative. Yep. So um, and this may be for, for later, but before we kick in, how does that sort of balance out as far as long versus short? Well, it felt like time for a change. We've we've enjoyed our Genesis sermon series over the past couple of years, Josh. And the uh, it, we might be the only Presbyterian and Reformed church. I think I was planning on saying this in the sermon, but I may have forgot the the quip the great thing about this podcast is, is if i forget a joke on sunday i could always come back to it <laughs> because right. josh as, as as we both know when it comes to comedy timing is incredibly overrated and the, <laughs> no, who, who needs timing when it comes to jokes so the idea here is we might be the only presbyterian and reformed church 
in the world that has gone two years without doing any sermons from the Apostle Paul. Think about that. And if if it's been a while since we've been in Paul, it it felt like a good time to get back into it. And it makes sense to me when we're introducing a sermon series on a Pauline letter to take a very small chunk at the beginning and try in ways that hopefully are still organic to those couple of verses, give an overview of the book itself. And Josh, before before you came on staff and the ongoing iteration of Liberty Collingswood staff, when it was me and Eric Mitchell, one of the things that I told Eric is that I, and maybe this is what Clara was getting at when she said my sermon was very average at best, the I I always struggle a little bit with introduction, introductory sermons to sermon series because I struggle to balance. Hey, I want to give an overview of what we're going to be talking about for the next year or more, but then also have something that's pithy, practical. You can take it home this week. And I have no idea how well I did on this uh, count for this sermon, but the goal is to both give an overview and sort of that appetizer of what's to come, but then also have enough. So if somebody is needing a word of Jesus this coming week, there's enough in the sermon about Jesus that it can make a difference in the short term too. So that, that that's what I'm trying to balance. And that's why I enjoy a shorter snippet to start a series. I definitely get that. Uh, not six or seven hours after you finished up, I was trying to do an introduction to a year-long series for the youth and had to field many questions about, so what do you expect us to learn from this? Um, <laughs> judges, right? Yeah, judges. And then the second half of the year, John, because I can't make these guys read judges for 12 full months. Um, it's just a yeah. little too dark, I think. Um, and and I'm, I'm not even sure that the Motion Picture Association of America would would give judges a rating that would let them <laughs> read everything that's to come nope. in judges. Not, not, not at all. Um, it's going to make Christmas time real interesting. There we go. Uh, so I guess we can sort of move right along here. Let's um, do it. Sun Studios, mm. presence of award, Jim. Josh, you, you, you love these different titles for the sections, don't you? Oh, it's, it's great. Um, <laughs> honestly, it keeps us, if it keeps you on track, it's good, right? <laughs> that, well, well, that's what out. I think. Um, so tell us a bit more about this. I know we, we hinted at it a little bit in that yeah. last question, but yeah. tell us a little bit more about the passage. What, what was interesting? What was challenging? So the challenge is that there's not a whole lot here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. The As far as comparing and contrasting this intro of Paul here in Colossians to other Pauline letters, this is a pretty straightforward and generic-ish one. So I didn't want to overinterpret every tiny phrase to say that there is a ton of content hidden here. And even... Or I think I mentioned this at one point when I was talking about the word to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. There, there's an interpretive question there. I mentioned this briefly, but we have this podcast to be able to do a little bit more with sermon texts and sermons. When saints was used by Paul as a word and heard by the Colossian church, 
is that how how much is heard and understood in that word is it a dead metaphor or a living one mm. so the the question is how much when people hear a word how much do they recall the the root and the history of the word and the root meaning the etymology of it versus just know the word for what it is so right. saints means sanctified ones and there is a whole theology of sanctification in paul when paul says to the saints is that rich theological concept in people's minds when they hear it versus oh saints is just another word for christians mm -hmm. and i hopefully didn't go too far in the other direction over interpreting but then also saying hey there, there are significant markers here in this introduction that point to where paul is going so as saints and faithful brothers or brothers and sisters in christ at Colossae, they are marked and set apart for jesus hence the double location of in christ at Colossae. when yeah, yeah geographically you're in Colossae, but the main thing about where you are is less about where your feet are but you're in Christ and, mm -hmm. and, and that in Christ is huge yeah. in Paul's letters in general and super important in the rest of Colossians too. So, so wanting to, to tip off where Paul is going without shoehorning too much meaning into what's a pretty pro forma introduction on the other hand. Makes sense. And, and that definitely the in Christ piece, not something I've looked at and thought about, but weirdly enough, yesterday I listened to a podcast that ended up being about sacred geography. Oh, and if you are in Christ, Christ is literally in that place. And that is where you are. So, so a weird like serendipitous piece of timing there. Uh, well, one, well, well, I, I uh, thought of something that we can do in guitar slim pickings, but and yeah, I like it. I'm, 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 I'm telling you that I'm not telling you right now. Okay. That's fair. I don't have a lot of notes for that section. So you're going to carry us there. Um, any... it, it relates to the Sixers. So sadness, sadness is the answer. Yes. Um, anything else there for us? Jim? Well, let's see. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, um, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, one, the, to go a step deeper than than what the sermon allowed i at one point in an earlier draft talked a little bit more about hey this isn't and i forget exactly which ones but there are three or four letters that are technically from paul and timothy mm. and was thought about talking a little bit and in part i didn't go into it because there isn't a super firm scholarly consensus but the extent to which paul had Timothy as a co-author is something that's an interesting question to think about. At, at the very least, letter writing back then and for Paul specifically probably was not Paul with his quill writing by himself. So he was probably yeah. dictate. He was probably not. He was probably speaking, but not writing. And so there's a lot of interesting stuff with doctrine of scripture and mode of inspiration and inscripturation and all that stuff that I didn't really talk about. But all that is to say, even though the church says this is a letter from Paul, but who knows if there's a little Timothy in there too. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll have space to get back around to it, right? At the end of the letter, he gives us written with my own hand. So sometimes, not all the time. Oh, I think, I think in Colossians, we do get that one. 
Don't we? Uh, I think I was. I would have to go back and check that job. Out in the post. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, Howlin' Wolves, you can write in. Read the yeah. end of. Wait, no, you're right. It is Colossians 418. But. Throws the hands up, pushes Josh, the chair across Josh the wins, Josh wins a podcast. Victory. So yeah, this this will stay in. This is this is not going into post. And oh, and then Josh, as we bridge into the muddying the waters, the yeah. this this was a little bit of a sermonic cheat where you build bridges between different concepts and themes and sermons. Sometimes it's really fat part of the bat pretty strong connection other times you fudge it for the sake of sermonic unity more than one reason or another besides that if we learn about the identity of paul and the identity of the christians in christ at Colossae, hey what do you know i've been thinking a lot and this relates to the formation piece to identity because it's such a huge issue for so many of us in this cultural moment. And that was kind of the bridge into what I wanted to intersect with Mm. in the sermon as we muddy the waters a little bit. Yeah. It's it's definitely a a piece there, man. It's, it's one of the big things that I wrote down while you were talking about it was that idea of so many, it literally just is so many sources of identity with multiple exclamation points. Um, Right. And, uh, I think, I don't know if you touched on it, but it led me to thinking like we have all these sources of identity, but there's also compartmentalization of these things. Yes. Like my identity over here doesn't necessarily intersect with my identity over here. And to say that one thing is going to overrule all of that is insanity, right? How could one thing do such a thing? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit more, Josh. It, 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 it's tantamount to a category error to have one besides how I define my own identity as the unifying common denominator, anything else skips categories in ways that it's not designed to. The The language that I use in the sermon is that we have many different selves that mm. have their own ways of, of being formed. Uh, Jesus, according to Paul is the one source of the formation of all of our of all of our different selves. And yeah, let me ask you too, Josh, you're going in to leading another year along with your wife, Taylor of, of Liberty youth. Tell me that these things are not live issues for young people that you're engaging with, or are they everywhere? I mean, it it can even be so simple as we've had a number of students who have had like injuries playing a sport and have Mm -hmm. said like, yeah, that, that, that forces you to step back and think about your identity a little bit more. Um, that is which, fascinating. Which is is something that like I've even noted. I remember being young and having to like take breaks from doing the things that you really identified with, either through injury or like being sick or something like that. Yeah. Then um, it forces you to think like, oh wait, there are multiple facets mm-hmm. um, to the yeah. self. Um, so from- yeah, it's 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 definitely topical. Um, yeah so I, I will be sending my students back to this sermon audio time and time again to hear what you've got to say there <laughs> as as my two daughters roll their eyes as yeah. as their old man is 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 referenced I only confirm that one of them was rolling their eyes but... okay 
the See? yeah so so, so we have all of these different sources that's actually the title of a different charles taylor book chuck his friends call him the charles charles taylor sources of the self where mm. he he traces how over a long period of time really from from the ancient world in the western tradition until today increasingly over the centuries and there's a ton of different factors for this we derive our identity from what we feel inside and combine that with uh fracturing of different selves for different things that's sort of the weird mixture we're in when i i am how i feel mm-hmm. which to me seems there's uh threads of truth in that but then also if that's 100 percent all there is that's also a really bad idea <laughs> when if if uh if i if i am only how i feel then i have no central sense of self to begin with because i feel a ton of different things at a ton of different times so, so i need some external guardrails and guides for who i am and then we're we're constantly stretched in all these directions, thinking about students, academic selves, social selves, athletic selves, wellness selves, et, et cetera. And even around the dinner table, I think a couple of days I was talking about this Colossian sermon to my own kids. And I think it was Jesse. I usually don't. I mean the the number of kids I have in the household is decreasing at this point. So there, I can only be so coy about who I'm talking to, but, but Jesse, I was asking me what the sermon's about, which he actually does on a pretty regular basis. Dad, give me a preview of your sermon so I can listen to it and understand more about it. I, I said, well, kind of the big idea is that Paul wants Christians to be able to relate everything in their lives back to Jesus. That's a question that I repeated a few different times in the sermon. And she said, Oh, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, Well, I said, well, think about what you're doing uh, athletically. And she's, she does tennis, she does dance and she goes, yeah, I'm doing those things. And I said, well, how, how might you, or does, what you're doing in dance and tennis have anything to do with Jesus? And she said, uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, and then I said, well, what, what would that, what would that be? And then she said, well, God's given me this body and I'm using it in these ways, uh, for his glory. And I want to, I want to treat my body well. Um, and I said, that's great. So that, that's a ninth grader working out the pieces of Christian identity and in, in, in some small way. And so if all of us could do what Jesse did in that one instance with all of us, with all the parts of our lives, we're in pretty good shape, but yeah. we're also, I don't think there yet. Yeah, for sure. I think it, it's a, it's a great ideal. Um, <laughs> well, let's see I if we can get there. Don't say that I, I work that out in practice every day. Um, there's yeah. always these areas where you're like, Oh, this, it, this is very non-theological. I'm just typing up spreadsheets. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a balance so, of getting there as our lives get more boring, it feels like. True. So whether it's everything from parenting to faith and work to how I use my free time to to how I shop, all of those things need to be brought under Jesus' lordship. And isn't the flip side, isn't it the case, Josh, for us who are Christians, 
at some level and sometimes pretty not back of mind, but front of mind when we're disobeying or when we sin, there's an active like pushing God away from a, from our, our hearts and minds. We're like, Hey, I'm just gonna, Jesus, I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch you off for a little while so I could do my own thing. I'll catch you on the other side. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's another aspect of uh, a divided self where not all of us is under the Lordship of Jesus. So, so hopefully this isn't just dead white guys talking philosophy, like, or, I mean, I think Charles Taylor is still alive. Sorry, Chuck, but the, hopefully there's a lot of practical things that, that, that we can talk about here. And the, and I think we're going to get some play with the Colossian heresy too. Yeah. So happy to talk a little bit more about that Colossian heresy stuff. Unless Josh, you want to yeah. double click on what we've just been talking about. I mean, I, I think to to sort of, at least in my brain, tie a little bit of a bow on what we just talked about the, yeah. the church that Taylor and I used to attend in Delaware before we moved um, sort of bridged this in their vision statement very well by describing it. Like the first sentence was because Christ affects every square inch and as Lord of every square inch of our city, here's what we're doing. Ah, and I've paraphrased this poorly. Hyperion. So, so things like that. Um, I think that that's sort of an outplaying of what we've said. If Christ yeah. is Lord over everything that we are, and everything around us, then there's there's not an inch there that that isn't doesn't have space. Um, but yeah, happy to sort of talk about. Well, happy to talk about the Colossian heresy. <laughs> interested so, to see what you think about it um <laughs> definitely i uh, well i i think i'm con not pro but then the but but the question is what exactly are we getting at here so i mentioned in the sermon it, it's been called the colossian heresy and i mentioned too that other scholars have called it the colossian error the the distinction there is that not only are there some differences of scholarly opinion about what exactly was pressing in against the Colossian church in their local context that Paul was giving some pushback to? But then also there's a question. Heresy is a word that kind of means like, hey, you're out of bounds as far as Christian. This is sub-Christian, non-Christian, anti-Christian. Were the false teachings that were making their way into the Colossian church, did they achieve the level or clear the bar of heresy per se, or are they errors, but not necessarily heresy? So, so there are some commentators that prefer Colossian error to Colossian heresy. I, I, I don't really have a dog in that fight, but the Colossian, Colossian heresy. Opinion. <laughs> the Colossian opinion. Let's go with that, man softens the blow a little bit or yeah what what, what would like uh 2023 the colossian truth this this is their truth the the oh, Col- okay so the whether heresy or error illustrates that there's to use galatians which i mentioned in the sermon as as a contrast paul is gives enough extended critique of what scholars call the Judaizers at the church in Galatia. He disagrees with them at such length and so explicitly 
throughout the letter that it's not that hard to piece together from Paul's letter what those Judaizers in the Galatian context were were mm-hmm. teaching because you have Paul representing their argument so that, so that he can unpack it, which right, is what right. any good Socratic, uh, Paul was a Greco-Roman in addition to, to being a Jewish person, that, yeah. that that's what good philosophers do. You, you want to, and I hope I do that, whether in sermons or podcasts myself, even when I'm disagreeing with other people, I would hope that they would feel that their opinions feel well represented and fairly represented so we're not just arguing with straw men uh so there's enough extended argument galatians that we have a really good idea about what the galatians were up against paul is more is less explicit in colossians about the nitty-gritty of the teaching that he's pushing back against which Mm -hmm. makes it a little more of a speculative reconstruction as far as what the Colossian heresy or the Colossian errors even were. I I feel I feel good with what I said. So some mixture of Christianity plus Judaism. And yes, Christianity comes from Judaism, but 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 there was some sort of reversion to Jewish cultic practices that Paul mm-hmm. references at various points. And then other scholars have seen some form of Gnosticism or proto- I was going to ask that, Jim. Uh, no joke. So that go, was my, my follow-up question. Was, go, go, ahead, that, go ahead and ask the question. The follow-up question was, do we think that, and I was going to say then, we can edit this out because three people are going to find it interesting. Um, do we think that ancient Gnostics are a source of this heresy because it characteristically, they are also so very hard to pin down Yeah, because so much of their belief is based on, well, I have this individual revelation yeah, um, of various aeons and beings with multiple facets and things like that, that you po- couldn't possibly understand as just a fleshy being. Right. Um, right. And so when we get these heresies that are so hard to pin down, like, usually it feels like we would just want to tag those are Gnostics. Right. Um, we don't know where else to put them. They generally have a low view of the body in the created order, but yep. beyond that, like we, <laughs> we couldn't tell you exactly what they are. We can just tell you what everybody else thought of them at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're the, they were the Markel Fultz truthers of the, of of the ancient world the and so so classic ancient gnosticism gnosis gnosis uh word from from greek for for knowledge and as we're able to tell generally about gnosticism josh as you know the uh there is a privileging of mind and knowledge above material and body such that the the goal of human existence was to transcend material and body to higher forms of mind and knowledge. So very much a mind over matter sort of situation. And and it's always fascinating. Like, I think there are, you know, one could, plenty of science fiction that carries these ideas forward and forward in different ways. And, and even, uh, so the science fiction idea of trying to outlive our bodies in preservation of consciousness one way or another, that, that that's a neo-Gnostic idea. 
and the technologized self is a modern concept could be another version of of that as we try to negate our bodies in different ways the was gnosticism in Colossi? no but maybe yes so it's probably anachronistic and most scholars will say gnosticism as such post dates the paul's letter to the colossians anyway so uh there weren't so uh good good morning vietnam when robin williams is interviewing gomer Pyle about how how he spots the viet cong i don't know if you remember what robin williams says uh so so robin williams is gomer Pyle, uh or he, he's one person on the radio show being, being the two people gomer how how do you know if you found a viet cong and gomer robin as gomer says well we just walk up to a feller and ask him if he's viet cong and he says yes we shoot him <laughs> Um, so all that is to say there probably were not card carrying yes i'm an i like i'm a gnostic would you like to ask me a question t-shirts that people were were wearing but so that's the no but then the maybe yes is some of the ideas about transcending body to get to a fuller and purer expression of mind and knowledge does seem to be one of the threads and ingredients that Paul is pushing against in part because what Gnostic people later on ended up doing with the body is part of what Paul senses in Colossae, where there's this weird pinballing. If you're mind over matter, sometimes there is a and there can be both an underemphasis on what you do with your body or an overemphasis on what you do with your body. Uh, the overemphasis is you need to be uh, the, an ascetic lifestyle. If your body's going to get in the way of things, you need to be uber disciplined about what you yeah. do and don't do, consume and don't consume, so that you can have your body clear itself out to be able to grow your mind. But then on the other hand, hey, if mind is important and body doesn't matter anyway, then do whatever you want with your body have a party let let yourself go so that that either or is at play in the colossian context and that's one of the bridges that i tried to make hey aren't there instances that we can think of whether in culture or in our own hearts where we can think about our bodies in the same way either over or under appreciating what we do with them for sure so yeah uh josh you tell me if i answered yes or no to your question but i think it's a good question I think that makes sense, right? We don't we don't have this definitive start to card carrying Gnostics in big air quotes because yep. if if you read into like Irenaeus and those guys, there were no real card carriers. They're like, oh yeah, I'm I know what's going on. Yeah, and they're very non united, thus very hard to track. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah, I think anytime I find a Paul yelling at someone for something I can't track, that's the label I tend to put on it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it works. It checks for the most part. Right. Um, and or one, does a lot of yelling. That's true. One, one thing to piggyback off of that, Josh. The and Gnostic ideas and Josh, you probably know patristics better than I do. Um, so 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 the the super earlier ancient church 
in different ways, Gnosticism was a pretty consistent thorn in the side of ancient church at a few different points, not just once, but over and over again in different okay. forms and manifestations. I think that you could argue the main reason for that is because there are points of connection between Gnosticism. It, there, it's it. It's not like this 100%, how could you ever think this totally bad idea? You're completely wrong. There are points of bridges of connection and commonality where Gnosticism can look like Christianity and in the gospel. And, and, and so there are porous boundaries practically between thought and practice in each of these camps such that they're, they're always, they're always hanging around one way or another. That's, that's what makes heresy so likable in a lot of senses, right? It, it looks almost like real Christianity, um, yeah. but, but it, it, it ticks something away. Um, in a lot of senses, it, it almost fits too well. Um, explain that a little bit more when i'm I'm sitting reading i think uh, a lot of times when i start to piece all of the systematic theology together such that it all makes perfect sense i'm like all right where's the heresy in here um got to take this apart so that there's some semblance of like me not getting it perfectly yeah Uh, but i think that definitely definitely fits Um, yeah one one other thing here just just to round out the connection points that i saw so the Along these same lines, what's Paul pushing back against? Some combination of views where there are a ton of do's and don'ts. And this is where I like I see overlap to contemporary contrast, con- contemporary contexts mm-hmm. by way of similarity, not contrast. The if if we're always on the verge of being canceled or unfriended or ghosted by friends and family, uh why why are we fragile in this way if not because whether we have a good sense of what those do's and don'ts are they're at least out there and and we can be worried of running afoul of how we comport ourselves in these ways uh so there's the list of do's and don'ts the combination of a lot of strictness but then also a lot of laxity Mm-hmm. body is an example of that and and i mentioned the flip when it comes to body of sex and food where uh previous iterations of uh life in the west the idea was uh, super buttoned down when it came to any type of sexual sexual expression but eat whatever you want whenever you want uh honor your food appetite to the extent that you're able to at, at all times and at all places what do you know it's it's a 180 now where sexually hey do whatever you want whenever as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else which yeah. is its own can of worms as far yeah. as how to apply that there are, are are different standards of how that might be applied yeah. but um yeah that that's an appetite to which you should always say yes and when it comes to food those are appetites that for the most part you should tell them no yeah. and and if if the one seems obvious to us now, that's not because it's always been obvious to everybody in all times and all places. It's an incredibly enculturated view. Um, mm-hmm. And part of, I think, Christian formation is engaging in a process of disenculturation of whatever we're engaged in to say, hey, let's let's bring this back into 
the orbit of Jesus' lordship in a more intentional way. And and then the the last aspect of connection I wanted to draw within Colossian heresy, this weird combination of hyper-rationality and superstition. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, as, as you engage with, with young people, and I, I don't think this is new to this generation, but it might just be more. The, the statistics that say, hey, people are... Uh, increasingly out on organized religion, but are more open to spiritual possibilities and realities than ever before. That 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 whole thing about, hey, religions for the birds. Nobody believes it. It's all these old, outdated superstitions, uh, practices that are possibly toxic. So I don't want any of that. And there's other things in there. So like you know, abuses of the church over the years, suspicion of power structures, and so I don't want to oversimplify. But I know a ton of I, I have a ton of friends and neighbors who would classify themselves as nuns, <clears throat> as in no spiritual or, or religious affiliation whatsoever, because they would say I'm a modern rational person. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of like superstitious and and I don't mean they're reading horoscopes every day, but uh, the whole like the universe told me or um bad feelings uh mm-hmm. or getting spooked about something where they were planning on doing this but then this other thing happened and i just had this feeling that all of a sudden i definitely should not do this uh like that sort of thing which is highly irrational uh and and somehow the baseline cultural narratives are such that those two things that logically speaking should not go together emotionally intuitively they do and that's what we're going to try to uh among other things disenculturate people from so it it's all there cool looking forward to uh seeing what the universe has to say about the rest of the book of colossians then based on what you just said Um, (laughs) i i love it so yeah just just uh keep keep that magic eight ball handy and and we'll see where we go from here We'll, we'll be there when um, when when you were um Josh you, you you grew up in more Christian context than than I did were were Ouija boards board something that people had strong strong feelings about or, um, or was was that like my more generation or less. um I think I probably have a stronger opinion on such things than like my parents ever did okay um but that's because like to your point my focus largely academically is on the patristics who could see like spirits and demons behind every rock and so i here <laughs> you read enough patristics you like throw the ouija board away get me out of here <laughs> um yeah well let's edit that out in post <laughs> yeah, that's fine um, uh, okay yeah fair enough um, yeah so all, all that is to say is as we construct the text schedule for this colossian sermon series we are not using ouija boards yeah yeah definitely not doing that um Really using the numbers on the the ESV web app. That's <laughs> the number one thing that I'm able to do, reading through and saying, how long do I want to stand at any given point while someone is reading? Fair. We've had some long standing over the past yeah. couple of years in Genesis. Yeah, I, People I, have been I've great. forgotten Genesis too quickly because there is a section at the end of chapter four that's like eight verses. And I think I emailed you and I was like, does this feel a little bit too long? Um, lo and yeah. behold, does no yeah. one remember the genealogies. Right. Exactly. Um, 
So with the mud, the water is sufficiently muddied at this point. I think so. I can't remember how we got here. So but we got here. We're doing great. Chain. Yes. What do we, uh, I picked up on two major references and then a lot of tiny ones. You were throwing a lot of them out there, but the ones that we picked up on at least were yep. really hitting G-dub right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, not the reference we expected. Um, it's it, It's like the Christopher... Nolan Batman movies, not it, not the reference we want, but the reference we need. It's more so thinking no one expects the Spanish Inquisition, but <laughs> also good. I like that. Yeah, that was how did we how did we land on that one? The uh, like the George Bush saying yeah, yeah. most influential philosopher because he changed my heart. I yeah. I think so. So I don't think I actually saw it, but I remember my dad who watched all of those primaries telling me about it. And he was one of the people that was impressed. And I was always intrigued by that idea, too, when in a you know, ostensibly non-religious debate, here's George Bush. And this is before. Or, so I was a Christian by this point. Uh, hey, it, I don't know. It just caught it caught my ear. Uh GW saying Christ has influenced me more than any other philosopher, even though Jesus isn't exactly a philosopher. I so 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 I was uh I was intrigued by that answer and uh was trying to think for the sermon introduction some some way to illustrate this idea that Jesus is everything, not just not just something. And to the extent that he I don't I don't think they got those questions ahead of time and it seemed genuine. George yeah. Bush was honest about Jesus. Jesus is, is my everything. So, and, and it was 1999. How, how old were you in 99? Uh, I'm trying to think what month was that debate in? Like end I think of November, the November, December. I would have been just turned six. Nice. So um, I was born in 93. Which, uh, which, which, which of the candidates answers do you remember from that debate? Yep. They answered. I remember that they answered. <laughs> yeah. So, so I do know one thing and I, it is, I know who ended up winning that primary. That's about it. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and little did I know when my dad was relating to me, the, that particular set of answers to that question in that primary, that almost 25 years later, it, it would work its way, work its way in, into a sermon you never know impressive <laughs> and 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 i did spend so, so i said in the sermon that uh i did not spend tens of hours looking for that whole whole answer from the different candidates i did mm -hmm. spend maybe 21 minutes 22 minutes look and i just couldn't it's yeah maybe if i was better at internet uh i could find it but yeah, I I would have wanted to confirm like what were some of these other answers by these political bozos that are talking philosophers. <laughs> and... I haven't even told you who else was on the stage at that point, but I would really love to hear some of these answers. Colin um, Wolves. Yeah, can we get that added into uh, into the next debates too? Those are coming up. Who is your favorite philosopher? We can go around the current candidates and see they come up with that, that, that should be a perennial question i don't understand yeah um i'm looking yep, so, over so we had gw we had gw we had for blink and you miss it the unfrozen caveman lawyer yes 
So are you familiar I, with so, so that I was before was, you were born and I, I ended up re-watching a, a clip of it today to reacquaint myself um <laughs> simply because i was like if i'm gonna bring this up i need yeah. to at least a little bit and remember a little bit um the late yeah. phil hartman yeah it's a good piece uh i'm like looking at my notes because i very vividly remembered this portion of the podcast when I was trying to take notes on Sunday. And I was like, well, let's, let's not come up empty here. Uh, it's the most important part. Yeah. So I let's, mean, let, let, let's see what else we have. Uh, the, Oh, with George W mentioning Will Ferrell as, as yeah. somebody that, that did some, some great GW imitations, the the Bible commentator on Colossians, one of the commentaries I'm using is by a guy named Scott McKnight. Um, he's not somebody whose views I endorse across the board, um, but he's a good reader of scripture and um, uh, he's proven a good internal conversation partner with me so far um, and is a good writer. Not every Bible commentator is a good writer, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So uh, th those quotes fit. The Manuel Castells, uh, the uh, Spanish sociologist. Uh, Josh, who are some of your favorite Spanish sociologists? Uh, and is Morris or is Manuel Manuel Castells in the top ten? Or yeah, uh... I mean, he's he's one through ten right now. <laughs> the end all be all. The, that that quote, uh, the search for identity, collective or individual, ascribed or constructed has become the fundamental source of social meaning. Identity is becoming the main and sometimes the only source of meaning. Uh, that that quote came from uh, Mark Sayers' book, The Disappearing Church. So I wasn't reading the 10 volume works of Manuel Castells, uh, but it was uh, from the Sayers book. But I think it captures a lot of what's going on. Uh, uh, identity being a big deal. Felt like I wanted a quote at that point. And then, yeah, uh, mentioned uh, some quotes from later on in Colossians. And I think that's all that all that comes to mind as far as yeah. bar band cover tunes. Yeah, that looks about it. So, into these last few guitar slim pickings. The um, what, else, it, what else do we have? What's left, Jim? It occurred to me this whole idea of the double location to the faithful ones in Christ at Colossae. This whole idea of Jesus as being your primarily or your primary location. At at one point, the in the sermon, I accidentally quoted a former Sixers Sixers executive who left the Sixers a couple years ago, and tried wrote a self-help book and tried to build a self-help platform i'm blanking out on his name scott adams or something like that the let me see if i can find it while, while i'm talking so so the title of his book i believe was be where you are be where your feet are let me see if i can find it scott o'neill scott o'neill so, so so he was one of the villains of the process era people thought he was a horrible executive and to underscore it he left executiving and kind of wrote this really flaccid uh self-help book nice. be where your feet are and so i accidentally or inadvertently let's say <clears throat> talking about you are 
you are where you are, that whole idea and wherever you are in Christ, that's where you are. I I kind of started sounding too much like Scott O'Neill, former Sixers executive. Be be where your feet are. A, a book that I have not read and I'm not sure I'd recommend based on his inability to run a Sixers front office well. It's a fair point. I just <laughs> feel like there's probably plenty of good people throughout history that have said the same thing though. So. My my job is to sure try to cherry pick one or two for you, and I, like here are the other people who have said be where you are. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. Seat yourself with them instead. Okay. Um, Thank you. Yeah. yeah and that's I think that's the only only guitar slim picking slim picking I have. Nice. Anything on your end? Not too much. I mean, uh, this is sort of a humorous bit here, but as you mentioned, a, a smorgasbord, the Amish food on conveyor belts. Oh, that's right. Um, Taylor, my wife, turns to me and she goes, doesn't Jim realize that the Amish are against conveyor belts? They would never have such a thing. <laughs> um, and I'd be remiss if that didn't make it into this Excellent. Because that was just a moment that I was really trying to focus and I had to look down. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, yep. The fact that one person exactly had been to Colossae before. Um, yep. That was, that is a, another just quick picking trivia for those who uh, may have listened to the sermon online, but didn't see it. Yeah. Okay. So there, there, there's proof that I actually pay attention to the congregation when I preach. I was not expecting anybody to put up their hand to say, oh. yeah. So I, I rewrote the entire sermon on the fly from that point. Impressive. It would have been totally different. Well worked. Can't wait till the day that we see the version of the sermon that would have been delivered had no one been to Colossae. Patreon uh, subscribers. Yeah, there we go. For only $12 a month, you too can hear the cutting room floor bits of the sermons <laughs> you've never heard. Yeah, uh, Let, Let's make it more. Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> um, to my knowledge, uh, we talked about this a little before, there are not any Helen Wolves this week. No. But They've we're taking the summer off. They're not quite back yet. That's true. You ready next week for the inbox to be flooded, I guess. I hope so. So I I hope Helen Wolves, you're back on track for getting into another season of Post Sunday Blues. As far as programming notes, we have Kathy Santavanez, her first of two five golden things pods coming up this Friday. As we hear from her main spiritual takeaways and lessons from her time in Eswatini when and and there's there's a lot more good stuff coming down the pike. Josh, excellent job, man. You're you're your first post Sunday blues hosting. You're you're a natural. Was it was it what you would have hoped that it was? It it was it was great. It's always, always the most fun thing that I do is getting on these podcasts whenever I can. And it's great. Um, no, it was, it was a lot of fun. This has been really enjoyable to get to dig in with stuff and then work through some of the questions we might have had through the week. And hopefully here's to plenty more times to be able to dive through this stuff. Amen. And Josh, we'll be hearing from you from the pulpit with Colossians sometime, I hope, in the not too distant future as as well. So I might be... Chapter 5. I might be interviewing you about Colossians chapters five through 10 coming, coming, coming your way soon. Hey everybody. That's all we got for today. Right in post Sunday blues at gmail.com. Josh, thank you so much once again.
And oh, you've been you've been waiting to hear the question. How was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching post mortem, production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more post Sunday blues. Here comes some pre Sunday happy. How's your Monday going, Josh? It is it is going well. Um wait, it's Tuesday. Uh true question. Oh.